Amen. In Gowanus, I don't know if you've ever been there, there's a furniture store called the Refoundry. And the Refoundry takes secondhand materials, other people's trash, and they refashion it into high quality handmade furniture. But that's not what they're particularly known for. What they're known for is their business model and their hiring practices. They exclusively hire formerly incarcerated people. They apprentice them. I think it's a one-year or a six-month apprenticeship program. They apprentice them as furniture makers, then give them the freedom to create and sell their own furniture within their stores. They teach them how to get their own you know, business license, and they f- start their own business. And this not only gives these formerly incarcerated people an income, which they desperately need, but it gives them a purpose. It gives them a purpose now that they're free. And I want you to just imagine, and you know, we hear that and we're like, oh great, but can you imagine for a moment what it must be like for a prisoner? Imagine for a moment that you've been in prison for one, five, 20, 30 years, and you get news that you've been paroled. Like that's, you're free. You're free to leave the prison walls. That is, that's good news. That is the best news probably in your life. And there's excitement, there's joy, there's freedom as you collect your things and you walk out the gates. Free at last. But now imagine, try to imagine the days and the weeks that follow. Have you ever considered how difficult reentry into normal life might be for a formerly incarcerated prisoner? See, during their imprisonment, that was bondage. That was no fun, but they knew where their meals were coming from. They had a bed to sleep in. They had shelter. It was bondage, but it was predictable bondage, wasn't it? And now they're released into the world, and in a moment, they have to provide for themselves. They have to try and overcome the stigma of being an ex-con, which is difficult to do. They're free, But living as a free person can be extremely difficult. And that's why 42% of criminals in New York City will end up back in prison within three years of their release. And this furniture store, they recognize that freedom is hard for those who have become used to and familiar with imprisonment. See, it's not enough just to be free from prison. You must be free for a greater purpose. And the Refoundry offers this to their employees, another purpose. They offer them a chance to live into their new freedom. They're free, but this furniture store gives them an opportunity to really experience their freedom. And being a Christian is like this, isn't it? We know we're free. We've been set free. We just sang about it. We've been set free from sin and shame and guilt and fear and death. But don't we all spend all of our lives, we will spend the rest of our lives on a journey toward experiencing fully the freedom that Christ has given us. And there will always be temptations for us to go backwards, won't there? See, it's not enough to know that we've been set free from shame and guilt and fear. We, We have to be free for something more. That's the Exodus story. Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. We are free so that we can worship. There's a purpose to our freedom. And the people of Israel, in our text today, we saw last week through through the Passover, the people of Israel are granted freedom in one decisive moment. The Passover, Pharaoh says, all right, go. 
Get out of here. You're free. They're free in one decisive act of God. But there is a journey. The rest of the Exodus story is a journey to, for them to experiencing the freedom that God has given them. I mean, you realize we're in Exodus 14. You would think that them crossing the Red Sea is the climax of the story. There's 40 chapters to this book. It's because the Bible knows something that we all know, and that is that freedom is a journey. We can be set free in one decisive moment, and that's what's happened to us as Christians. But our lives will be a journey of living into what is already true. And I don't think that there is anything more practical than the book of Exodus. Because we all struggle with what it means to be truly free. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We just sang. I am a child of God. Now, is that true? Yes. There's nothing more true than that. But are you experiencing that truth? Do you feel free this morning? Do you feel like you're no longer a slave to sin, to, to fear? And today our story picks up in Exodus 14. Last week, Jordan preached an excellent message on the Passover. There's a decisive moment. God frees the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They're free to go. Chapter 13 tells us that they gathered their things. They left Egypt. God literally appears in a pillar of cloud um, and fire. And they begin to follow God himself out of Egypt. That's a climactic moment. They are following God himself. God is leading them to freedom. And that's where we pick up our story today. Then the Lord said to Moses... Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-hahirath between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-saphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. Pharaoh changes his mind. He's done this a lot. And they said, what is this that we have done? That we, we've let Israel go from serving us. Why did we let our slaves go? So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the, other chosen char or all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook, he, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Saphon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. I would too. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. First thing I want you to see from the Exodus story today is that the journey to freedom is never a direct route. 
Imagine for a moment that you're an Israelite. You're a slave in Egypt. God frees you. You're trusting in Him. He has come through for you. You're free. There's excitement. There's joy. There's confidence. Exodus 12 and 13 said as they were leaving, they're just gathering up stuff. They're just taking things. They're like pillaging the places they leave. Like they are, there's so much confidence that God is on their side and that God is leading them to freedom. And literally, I mean, God shows up in a pillar of cloud and fire and they're like, there's God. Like this is all true and God is leading us to freedom. And they start following behind. They literally, these were slaves. They probably watch as their chains fell off. And they start following God out of their slavery, out of their old life into freedom. But as they're following God, they would have known the terrain. And as they're following God, they're like expecting to take a right. And they're like, wait a second, the direct route is that way. That's how we get to Canaan. This is not taking us to Canaan. And God zigs when they think he should zag. And they start following and they're going, why is God taking us the long way around? Why isn't he taking us the easiest way to freedom? And then they find out that God leads them to the sea. And you look ahead and there's nothing but ocean. Like there's nothing but sea in front of them. And in the Hebrew mind, the sea represents chaos and death. It's impassable. You can't just walk through water. And they see the sea and they're like, if we walk into that sea, we're gonna die. I think of Michael Scott driving the GPS. He's like, it says go straight, and he drives right into a pond. They can't go straight into the water. What has God done? And then they look behind them and their old slave masters are coming after them. And they're like, wait a second, there's death in front of us and there's slavery behind us and slavery's coming toward us. They're trapped, their old life is closing in on them. They feel like they can't move forward in this new life that God has promised them. Because there's this big obstacle, they're stuck in the middle between the freedom that God offers and the promises that God gives. And what would you do in that situation? What do you do when you're stuck between freedom and the promises? We know what the Israelites did. They turned to Moses and they said, what have you done bringing us out here? We said to you, leave us alone in Egypt. It would have been better for us to be slaves than to die out here by the sea. Now, if you want to take some time this week and meditate on scripture, meditate on that passage. Because if you want to understand yourself, spend some time thinking about that part of the story. The people asked Moses, what have you done to us? And they asked God. It says they cried out to God and they spoke to Moses. It says, God, what have you done to us? Well, what has he done for them? (laughs) He set them free. He delivered them. He took off their chains. He redeemed them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. But the moment they're afraid, Once they feel their circumstances closing in on them, they no longer wish to be free. They were in slavery back in Egypt, but now they're in danger as they journey toward Canaan. And they want to go back. They're like, we don't want to keep going anymore. We just want to go back to where we were. Maybe Pharaoh will have mercy on us. And they turn to Moses. They turn to God. They turn to their Redeemer and Deliverer. They turn away from their Redeemer and Deliverer when their expectations aren't met. See, Egypt was a terrible place. It was slavery, but it was familiar. They would rather return to the prison that they are familiar with than venture toward God into an unknown future. Now, there's a lot of directions I could take a story here, but I'll just tell one of my own life. About 18 months ago, 
I began to feel God's Spirit really convicting me about some sin in my life, and it had to do with my work habits. I worked a lot. Um, I was at the office on my days off. Hey, sweetheart, Saturday, can I just go? i got to do a couple things, got to finish the sermon. When I was home, my laptop wasn't far away. I got to fire off this email. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got a sermon. We got this meeting. We got this. Got that. Got that. And not only was I hurting my family by being a workaholic, but it was making me anxious. It, I felt like a slave to my own workaholism. I gained weight. I was unhealthy. And I remember I was talking to my counselor. I have a therapist. And he was, ta- he was asking about my rhythms of life. And I remember he asked me, he said, Will, when was the last time He says, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, Will, when was the last time you rested? And I broke down sobbing because I could not remember the last time I had rested. I had been at rest. And I knew in that moment that something had to change. And I knew that God's Spirit was speaking to me through my counselor saying, Will, you need to be obedient to the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus says, Sabbath rest, abide in me. And so I said, something's got to change. And I'm reading the Gospels, Jesus' commands to rest. I even read about the promises of God that says, those who come to me are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And so I'm like, I need to be free from my workaholism. And I want some of those blessings that Jesus offers, that rest. And so I said, look, I'm not going to be a slave to work anymore. It was like this moment of freedom. It's like, I'm going to do it, right? And I said, I'm going to type A, so I made the spreadsheet. It's like, Fridays, that's my day off because I work on Sundays. It's like, Fridays and Saturdays, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, and I'm going to rest on these days. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to come home every day at 5 o'clock, and I'm going to be home when I'm home, and I'm not going to check my phone. I'm going to delete you know, Facebook and Instagram off my phone. I'm going to delete in, uh, email off my phone, and you guys can call me at 7 p.m. all you want. I'm not answering it because I'm with my family, and I'm resting because Jesus told me to. I was so excited. I was going to be free. Then Friday came. The first Friday is my day off. I'm sitting at home. Kids are at school. And I was so bored. And without work, I felt so insignificant. Who am I if I'm not doing something, I thought. And I was afraid that I was letting you all down. I was afraid that I wasn't earning the calling that this church has allowed me to have. There was anxiety. I was like, man, there's probably so many emails in my inbox right now. There's probably like voicemails that I'm not answering. And just anxiety. And I was like, and I got upset with God. I was like, God, you promise that there is freedom when we rest. You, to obey, you say that like to be obedient to you is to rest. And I know that there's slavery when I'm addicted to work. And I know that there's promises if I rest, but right now, in this moment, I'm like, it feels like all, like it feel, I feel insignificant. You see what was happening? There was slavery behind me, but then there were these waters in front of me. And I was like, I don't know how to go forward because this is all new to me. And I don't know about you, but have you ever left anything behind? An addiction, an abusive relationship, a disorder, a destructive habit? And you're like, I know those things are slavery. But when you leave them behind, you march out of your Egypt, you're so excited, but then you come to some sea, and you, whatever that looks like for you, and you're tempted in that moment to turn back. See, the promise of freedom sounds great, but the journey to freedom feels so dangerous sometimes. It feels like a death. And you're like, I just want to turn around and go back to the familiarity of my old life, even if it feels like slavery. 
Now, why does God take Israel on this route? And why does he lead them to this place? There was a direct route he could have taken them. He could have taken them right into freedom. Why doesn't God take the direct route? And here's why. Because the purpose of the Exodus is not just to take the Israelites to Canaan. It's to get Egypt out of them. And sometimes you have to take the long way around to get this remaining sin in your life out of you so that you can fully depend and trust on God and so that you can experience the blessings that He offers. Why doesn't God just snap His fingers and take our temptations away? Why doesn't God just snap His fingers and take our addictions away? Because on the journey to freedom, He wants to teach you how to trust and depend on Him. The Israelites needed, they needed I mean, there's a long journey ahead of them in the wilderness, and they needed to kill their dependence on Pharaoh so that they could fully depend on God in the wilderness. And God knew what he was doing. And the Israelites, as they faced the sea, they saw only two options, slavery in Egypt or death at the sea. And they said, well, I'll take slavery. It's awful, but it's predictable. And Moses steps in and says, no, 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 no. Don't factor God out. Listen to what he says. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them and coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. Second thing I want you to see is that the journey of freedom requires that you keep going forward. Did you hear the commands in that passage? Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Be still. Go forward. That's like a good mantra every day to say in front of the mirror, isn't it? Isn't that better than the lies we tell ourselves every day and the lies that other people tell us? Suit up. Figure it out. You got this. What happens when you don't? What happens when you don't have the strength to go forward? What happens when an ocean's before you? I can't part the sea. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Be still and go forward. That's comforting. But can you imagine what the Israelites thought when they heard, go forward? They're like, um, forward, uh, it's the ocean. Like, what? they don't have a story of anybody walking on water. This is Old Testament. They're like, we, forward, what? 
Listen, and sometimes in your life, God will call you forward into things that make no sense to you. And in those times, you need a little of humility. Just because you can't see a way doesn't mean that God won't make one. And sometimes we find ourselves in positions like Israel, like I did when I was pursuing rest. I wanted it. I want to leave behind slavery, but freedom feels so dangerous and so uncertain. And we feel stuck in the middle. And in those moments where we feel stuck in the middle, God says, don't stay there. Keep walking. Keep going forward. And listen to me. I, like, I know a lot of you. I, I talk to you. I, you know, I, I observe. I know that there are a lot of you in this room right now. Coming here today was a miracle. Your faith today, you, it feels so weak right now. And you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to leave an old life behind and it feels so hard to be obedient to Jesus. And today you're tempted to say, I know you are, and there are some of you in this room you're tempted to say, this isn't working for me. But listen, you know the old way didn't work either and you're tempted though just because it was familiar to go back to it. Can I just tell you, thus saith the Lord, keep Moving. Keep moving. David Mamet, who was a, a playwright and an author, he gave a commencement speech at the University of Vermont. And he says, On June 5th, 1944, thousands of American paratroopers jumped into Normandy, but four men refused to jump. Can anyone imagine the rest of these men's lives? What prodigies of self-excuse, rationale, or repression they must have had to employ? Their lives, in effect, ended the day they refused to leave that plane, as would the lives of the Jews had they refused to go into that sea, as will yours and mine, and as they do in part when we each refuse the opportunity to change. We stagnate and perform even greater prodigies of repression and hypocrisy to explain to ourselves why we don't immerse ourselves in the mysteries of life. We all die in the end, but I love this, he says, but there's no reason to die in the middle. Keep walking forward in obedience to Jesus. Jesus himself said that the way of the kingdom is a narrow road, and it's treacherous, and very few will be on it, but he says it leads to the very kingdom of God. That wide road, that slavery road that feels so easy and so familiar, it leads to destruction, Jesus says. And God is saying to Israel, don't die here. You just left. You're free, but you're not experiencing freedom. So just keep walking. And as they step forward, He does it. He splits the sea and He makes a way for them to walk to freedom. And look at verse 23. It says, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And in the morning, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord flew the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned 
covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Final thing I want you to see. On the journey to freedom, the Lord will fight for you. As they stepped forward, going the way that God had prepared for them, as impossible and impassable as it looked, they watched as God, as they saw God out, God saw, they saw God's mighty hand and outstretched arm at work. Centuries of waiting, years of hoping, years of being enslaved, praying and, and, and pleading that God would redeem them. Now they are set free. And as they walk through the Red Sea, they are now living in that freedom. But they had to go forward through the sea to experience it. They had to pass through the waters, the scary, unpredictable waters of obedience. But as they did, they saw the trustworthiness of the Lord and who He is and that He is true to His word. He fought for them. And on the other side of the sea, on the other side of their obedience, they looked at the shore and they saw nothing but the dead bodies of their oppressors. Do you believe that God can do this for you? Do you believe that the things that hold you in bondage, addictions, disorders, relationships, destructive habits, temptations, fear, shame, guilt, do you believe that God can lead you through the waters of freedom and destroy those things that enslave you? Do you believe He can? This chapter closes with verse 31. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, Israel saw the great power of God. They never would have seen that power on the direct route, would they? The dangerous and indirect route to freedom, that is the, the route where they saw God's glory on display. And that is the route where they saw their enemies defeated once and for all. So now we see why God took them on the long way around. So that He could show them His power. So that they would fear the Lord and no longer fear Pharaoh. Because that's who they were afraid of. But now they feared the Lord. And so that they would believe God's promises. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. We sang that this morning, and that is true. But are you experiencing that this morning? And you say, well, how do I experience that freedom? The New Testament authors tell us continually that the Exodus account, as powerful and as beautiful as it is, is merely a shadow of a greater Exodus. God took a situation in the Exodus that looked like doom for His people. And he turned it into the very means in which he saved them and defeated their enemies. Where else does God do this? Where else has God done this? Where else has God taken the object of defeat, the very thing that the powers of darkness thought were the means of their victory, and then turned it into the means of salvation for God's people? See, hundreds of years later, that's exactly what happened outside of Jerusalem. It looked like certain defeat, but God turned it into the means of His victory, the cross of Christ. 
God used death to defeat death and to defeat the one who held the power over death. And at the Exodus, God displayed his power over Pharaoh, but on the cross of Christ, God displayed his power over Caesar and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate. And not only them, on the cross of Christ, God displayed his power over all the things that demand our attention and our devotion, our addictions, our disorders, our temptations, all the structures in our lives that seem so important, all these authorities that demand our devotion, they have been put in their subordinate place on the cross of Jesus. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Colossians 3 says. One, Colossians 1. Jesus passed through the waters on the cross. He, and, and when he passed through the waters, he drew sin, shame, guilt, fear, and death into the waters with him, just like he drew Pharaoh into the water with the Israelites. But just as Jesus passed through death, he came out alive in the resurrection, but all the bodies of our enemies are strewn along the shore. Sin, sickness, Satan, death, darkness, fear, shame, guilt. They followed Jesus into death, and only Jesus came out alive, victorious over all those things. The cross of Christ shows us once and for all that God wins. And He will win. Therefore, we will win. You will win. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Be still. And once that is caught, go forward. God's people never need to fear. We can step forward in faith knowing that the Lord will fight for us. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and see. I am a child of God. Let me pray for you this morning. God, you split the seas so that the people of Israel could walk through them into freedom. But God, even more, even more so, you split the seas of death and shame and guilt and fear so that we could walk right through it. On the cross, God, you defeated death, you defeated sin, Satan, shame, sickness. And you say that if we will follow you into death, if we will die to ourselves, we will be raised to new life in Christ. And so God, I pray that we will trust you. We are like the Israelites so often. We look back, we feel like the waters before us are impassable and that they'll lead to death. And so sometimes we get stuck or even worse, sometimes we run backwards. But God, your word shows us that we can follow you into what looks like death and that is where life comes from I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who lives but it is Christ who lives in me and it's in your name we pray Jesus amen let my people go so that they may worship me that is the refrain of the Exodus story up to this point 
See, we experience freedom when we, we do what we were created to do. And we were created, the Westminster Catechism, does anybody know it? What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And one of the ways we try to do that every week is by having a time of communion and a time of response. And in a moment, you're going to have a couple of ways that you can worship God and thank Him for the freedom you have. You can stand and sing. We're going to sing. We're going to sing that we're no longer slaves to fear. You can come and you can take the body and the blood of Christ, which is His body broken for you and His blood shed for you so that you can walk through the waters into the very kingdom of God. Jesus says, every time you take these, do them in remembrance of me. We're going to do that together. Also, if you're here and you're like, I feel like I'm looking at an ocean. I feel like I'm looking at a Red Sea and it doesn't feel like God's parting it and I don't have the confidence. I don't have the courage to step forward right now. You need prayer today. You can come forward. Our deacons are going to be here ready to pray for you. I'll be up here ready to pray for you. But we're going to have a time of response. You can sing. You can come and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. Or you can come and have someone pray with you. So you guys, when you're ready, respond however you feel God is leading you.